0: We have reached a deal to end the shutdown and reopen the federal government.
1: If by deal you mean complete and total collapse.
0: That's what you reached. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. Oh, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From the middle Pacifica with Radio you. From
1: Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI and Round Mountain on KKRN and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ. In Cottage Grove on Queso, and in Eugene on KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI. Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Goldendale, Washington on KBGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Nicole Sandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Celebrating uh, today and probably for the next week or so, the 15th anniversary of Bradblog.com. So my thanks to you, to the, uh, to those of you who have stopped by Bradblog.com/slash/donate to help us celebrate our 15th anniversary and keep us on your public airwaves as long as we can afford it. And stand it. (laughs) Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Well, it looks like we uh, finally reached a breaking point on Friday in Washington, D.C. At least uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans did, in any event, on his unprecedented five-week-long federal government shutdown. Though the early morning FBI arrest and seven federal felony charges filed by Special Counsel Robert Mueller against one of Trump's closest Political operatives—is that the way to call? Is that the That's what we should one call him? Word
2: you could use for uh, him. And
1: certainly a longtime uh, uh, supporter and friend. Uh, a story which might otherwise have sucked up most of the corporate news oxygen for the day, and that, by the way, followed on another story late on Thursday night that might have also otherwise sucked up the oxygen on uh, of the news day. All of that, and we'll try to cover it all today. Wish us luck. Likely helped to bring at least a temporary end to the shutdown on Friday with the president caving. Yes, the great deal maker, the art of the deal dude, got beat by a girl.
2: Yes, he did.
1: Isn't that a fair way? Uh, And we're all the better for it. Yeah, we are. Uh, He completely caved to precisely what Democrats and even Republicans alike had both sought originally last year, before all of this nightmare, before this uh, five-week-long, record-long government shutdown began. Now, the breaking point was uh, was showing it. It's showing itself again on uh, on Friday morning nationally as federal officials announced that they needed to begin restricting flights on Friday into and out of New York's LaGuardia Airport. In the bargain, The New York Times reports significant flight delays were rippling across the northeast on Friday because of shortages of air traffic controllers. Due to the government shutdown, that according to the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, the, de- uh, the delays were cascading along the eastern seaboard on Friday, reaching as far north as Boston. But LaGuardia Airport was the only one that had been closed off to departing flights from other cities because it was so crowded, with planes taking off and landing on a weekday morning. Delays on flights into LaGuardia were averaging almost an hour and a half, an hour and a half delays, according to the FAA, and not because of weather, but because of Donald Trump's shutdown. An FAA spokesperson cited a uh, an increase in sick leave at two facilities, adding that they had mitigated the impact, or tried to, by rerouting traffic and increasing spacing between aircraft when needed. But that all led to these cascading delays. The National Air Traffic Controllers Association on Friday said that the worker absences were not part of any coordinated effort. It is actually illegal now for the controllers union to strike. That uh, following the 1981 standoff between uh, flight controllers and Ronald Reagan, who fired 11,345 of them for striking back in 1981. Remember that? Oh, yes. Are you old enough to remember that? I am old
2: enough to remember that. It uh, It was a big deal of union busting.
1: Yep. Friday's actions by the FAA was the first time since the shutdown began that there have been problems with staffing at air traffic control centers. The uh, TSA had struggled to keep security checkpoints operating over these past several weeks. But while those shortages increased airport wait times, they did not affect how planes were managed once they were in the air. But the delays at LaGuardia did. And they worsened as the day went on. By yeah, they had a ripple
2: effect across the country.
1: Across the country, but they were uh, delays were nearly ninety minutes for departures and forty and uh, for uh, arrivals, I should say ninety minutes. Departures were delayed forty-five minutes, and called uh, prompted calls for a growing from a growing number of lawmakers to end the shutdown. At the same time, Washington Post reported on Friday that at least 14,000 unpaid workers in the IRS division that includes tax processing and call centers did not show up for work despite orders to do so, which was a or is a big challenge to the Trump administration's ability to minimize damage from a government shutdown. The uh, administration had ordered more than 30,000 employees back to work To work unpaid for the tax filing season, which starts next week. But 26,000 workers who were called back to the IRS division, that includes the tax processing centers and call centers, out of those 26,000 workers, 9,000 of them could not be reached. Remember, they're not actually allowed to check their email while they're furloughed under a government shutdown. 5,000 others claimed hardship exemption saying they basically can't afford to come back to work for free. IRS officials told uh, members of Congress about this, and it was reported today by Washington Post. So in in the call centers, for example, which answer taxpayer questions uh, on the phone, about 35 percent of calls are currently being uh, answered But IRS officials told congressional staffs that, I'm sorry, that's 35% are in fact being answered, only 35%. The initial plan for filing season was for 80% of the calls to be answered. But because of the uh, furloughs, there's not enough people to answer the phones. Wait times have gone from uh, 10 minutes or so up to 40 minutes or so. The IRS reported it was losing about 25 IT staffers every week since the shutdown began, with uh, many of them finding other jobs. IRS employees said they uh, can't afford to go to work or pay for childcare if they're not going to get paid. They've been working uh, some 30 days without pay over the uh, record-long shutdown. Of the, uh, some of the uh, numbers uh, of the 1,700 accounts management workers who were called back to work in Kansas City and St. Louis, fewer than 600 actually showed up, according to uh, one of the unions out there in Kansas City. The workers were missing shifts because they can't afford the commute. They can't afford the gas to go to and from work.
2: Well, sure, if your choice is between feeding your children or putting gas in your tank to go to work, I think you'll feed your children first.
1: Oh, nor could they afford child care in right. many of these cases. The uh, spokesperson from the union said people are panicking. She said it's scary. It's getting worse every day. So with that background getting worse for all Americans who fly or file taxes, not just the 800,000 workers who were uh, immediately affected, with all of that going on, temper uh, the temper of Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill was hitting a boiling point on Thursday Thursday. Before two votes to open the government uh, in the U.S. Senate, uh, before those votes, one that included uh, Trump's $5.7 billion for his wall, the other was proposed by Democrats uh, that didn't have that money, both failed, though the Democratic one got more votes than the uh, president's version. With that, uh, tensions were reportedly very high in the GOP Senate caucus. Tempers were flaring, according to Washington Post. Republican senators clashed with one another and confronted Vice President Pence inside a private luncheon on Thursday. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin, told Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, quote, this is your fault. Okay, good. According to two Republicans who were at the lunch and saw this exchange, McConnell, uh, he said, are you suggesting I'm enjoying this? Washington Post reports him as snapping back.
2: No, he just said it's your fault, which it is.
1: I know he's a, a turtle, but uh, I didn't know he was a snapping turtle. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's according to. By the way. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, a Johnson spokesman, by the way, confirmed that confrontation uh, between them. That was one of apparently several heated moments. In a lunch that came just before the vote, the outbursts, Washington Post says, uh, highlighted the toll that the shutdown was taking on Republican lawmakers dealing with growing concerns from constituents and blame from Democrats, all while facing pressure from so-called conservatives to stand with Donald Trump in his demand for money to build this wall across the, the border with Mexico. So with all of that facing Donald Trump today and his poll numbers cratering over the past week and the two stories regarding his administration and Robert Mueller's investigation into it, he just finally caved, completely and utterly, at least for the next three weeks, anyway. In a uh, what was it about twenty-minute speech yes. at the White House Rose Garden. Trump offered his uh, usual weird and rambling, sometimes and... graphic,
2: oh yeah, argument that was weird
1: for uh, why he will uh, still demand a wall of some type. That got vaguer and vaguer, I think, as the as the speech went on. What the hell kind of wall he was actually talking about? Uh, But in in any event, he announced a quote unquote deal to reopen the government with a continuing resolution at existing spending levels through February 15. Here is the key portion of Donald Trump's remarks today at the White House.
0: My fellow Americans, I am very proud to announce today that we have reached a deal to end the shutdown and reopen the federal government. In a short while, I will sign a bill to open our government for three weeks until February 15th. I will make sure that all employees receive their back pay very quickly or as soon as possible. (laughs) It will happen fast. (laughs) After 36 days of spirited debate and dialogue, I have seen and heard from enough Democrats and Republicans that they are willing to put partisanship aside, I think, and put the security of the American people first. I do believe they're going to do that. They have said they are for complete border security, and they have finally and fully acknowledged that having barriers, fencing, or walls, or whatever you want to call it, (laughs) will be an important part of the solution.
1: Beaded curtains, whatever.
0: We really have no choice but to build a powerful wall or steel barrier. Powerful wall? If we don't get a fair deal from Congress, the government will either shut down on February 15th again, or I will use the powers afforded to me under the laws and the Constitution of the United States to address this emergency. We will have great security. And I want to thank you all very much. Thank you very much.
1: He uh, he didn't uh, take any questions. By the way, does he no. doing a good cut of that speech? If he had given just that, it would have been a pretty good speech.
2: Yeah, no, he had. He couldn't resist uh, wandering off script and uh, making uh, improvisations about uh, things that he's been arguing over and over and over again that have be- been debunked over and over and over about again. About women
1: with duct tape on yeah, their mouths.
2: His graphic fantasies so about that very weird, weird and just totally debunked crime statistics. You know that experts say no. A wall will not stop drugs coming over the border. They come through legal points of entry. So it's crazy.
1: So to be clear here, the deal that he says he has now reached to open the government, I need to underscore this. It is not a deal. It is to do exactly what both Republicans and Democrats alike had begged him to do in the first place before all of this pain, way back before Christmas, when uh, Republicans controlled both the the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, and the U.S. Senate ended up passing this deal 100 to 0. It's the same deal. Now, however, it will only go for three weeks, but basically the original deal was just to keep the government open, uh, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to open it back up, and then they can negotiate what to do about border security issues. And we'll see if we're in the same place three weeks from now or not. And he also you'll notice he said to address this emergency that I think was his way of keeping his options open to declare a national emergency if he doesn't ultimately get an actual deal for the wall that he has been demanding, of course. Uh, and I don't know. Have you heard yet uh, today, Desi Doyen? I I, th- I know the U.S. Senate has voted to reopen the government. I don't know at this hour if the House has yet done so, but I think it will be done soon. Do we have any word on how that will change next week's State of the Union, which had been canceled for next Tuesday? Uh,
2: so House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was yeah. asked about the State of the Union uh, in a press conference afterwards with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Chuck Schumer. She said that there has been no decision made on the State of the Union. Now that the government is reopened, she welcomes uh, negotiations with Trump and discussions about when they can schedule that and find a mutually agreeable date.
1: Oh, well, they can make another deal. So now, uh, mind you, this whole thing started, by the way, thanks to voter fraud criminal. And uh, GOP, former GOP superstar Ann Coulter, and I guess nobody told Trump that she's a former superstar. Nonetheless, uh, she had blasted his original agreement last year, at the end of the year, to approve the uh, the spending bill before Christmas that the GOP adopted Senate adopted a hundred to nothing, but because it didn't include any funding for a southern border wall. She blasted him for that. A wall, by the way, that Mexico was supposed to pay for in the first place. I need to add, uh, to oh, yes. note that. So how did Ann Coulter react to Donald Trump caving today? Well, uh, she posted shortly on Twitter after his uh, speech there, his announcement in the Rose Garden. She said she tweeted, quote, Good news for George Herbert Walker Bush. As of today, he is no longer the biggest wimp ever to serve as President of the United States. Doesn't seem like it went over well with Ann Coulter. Uh, she has uh, long been thought of as someone that Trump looks to as a gauge of support among his right- wing wingnut base. Last month, uh, right before the shutdown began, she said she would not vote for Trump in 2020 unless there was a border wall. She published a book that supported him called In Trump We Trust, E Pluribus Awesome. That was back in 2016, but she's been critical of him ever since, saying his presidency would be a, quote, joke if he gave in to Democrats by signing uh, a funding a government funding bill that did not include money for a border wall. And uh, so, yeah, she's not happy with this. We will see if uh, Donald Trump (laughs) caves to her demands once again three weeks from now when the government uh, will once again close on February 15 if they can't strike a deal, any kind of deal. I was going to say a real deal, but any kind of deal at all. If that's what Donald Trump needs to call it, that's just fine. So the government is pretty much now back open for at least about three weeks when we'll maybe face the same sort of self-induced crisis or Trump will declare a national emergency to take taxpayer funding from the military to try and build his wall. And then it'll all be adjudicated by the courts one way or another. Uh, But I think it's fair to say we can thank at least in part either the journalist at NBC News or Robert Mueller for giving Trump that extra goose that he may have needed today to try and change the subject and change it very quickly for uh, most of today's news cycle and possibly over the weekend. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about that goose and what uh, Donald Trump was desperate to have the uh, news media not talk about today. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you.
0: Like a rolling stone. Oh,
1: I see what you did there. (laughs) Welcome back. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We will get to the Rolling Stone in a moment, who says he is not going to roll, whatever that means. Uh, But what was uh, Donald Trump so eager to avoid, amongst other things uh, today, by uh, his pretend deal to reopen the government? Well, on Thursday night, a remarkable story from NBC News. Just kind of mind-blowing. Jared Kushner's Application for a top-secret clearance was rejected by two career White House security specialists after an FBI background check raised concerns about potential foreign influence on him. But their supervisor overruled the recommendation and approved the clearance, according to two sources familiar with the case who spoke with NBC News. The official who approved the clearance despite it being rejected by the career professionals. The official guy is a guy by the name of Carl Klein. He's a former Pentagon employee. He was installed as the director of personnel security in the executive office of the president in May of 2017. So he was installed by the Trumpies, by the Trumps. Kushner's case that was rejected by the career professionals reportedly was one of at least 30 cases in which Klein overruled the security experts and approved a top secret clearance for incoming Trump officials despite unfavorable information. There was unfavorable information that was discovered by the security professionals concerning these people, including Jared Kushner. Donald Trump's son-in-law and one of his top uh, top senior advisors. They uh, they said that a number of the rejections that were overruled, the number that was uh, overruled was unprecedented. It had happened only once in three years before Klein came into this job. And then he went ahead and did it some 30 times, at least The sources who spoke on condition of anonymity to NBC News said that Kushner's FBI background check identified questions about his family's business, his foreign contacts, his foreign travel and meetings that he had had during the campaign, according to the sources. The White House office only determines eligibility for secret and top secret clearances, and they rejected Kushner for that, for the top secret clearance. But Kushner wanted an even higher designation than that as a very senior official dealing with all sorts of. Remember, he was going to he was going to solve the Middle East crisis. He was
2: going to solve South America and everything else that was going on. Right.
1: So, you know, he needs uh, the, the, the best information, I guess, that the U.S. government has in order to do that. So. He wanted even higher access than top secret. He wanted or the president wanted to give him what is called sensitive compartmented information access or SCI. I think I think that's the highest level of security clearance in the in the U.S. government, at least that I know of the material that is sensitive compartmented information is the government's most sensitive secrets. It includes transcripts of intercepted foreign communications, CIA source reporting. In other words, who are the sources for the CIA? Who are our spies around the world and other intelligence? The CIA is the agency that decides whether to grant an SCI clearance to senior White House officials after they have obtained top-secret clearance. So the CIA does a further background check on these people, and they were asked to do this check on uh, on Kushner. But after Klein had overruled the security specialists in the White House and recommended Kushner for top-secret clearance, when Kushner's file then went to the CIA for a ruling, the CIA looked at this and looked at how he had failed the lower security clearance— And they balked, according to NBC, two of the uh, according to uh, NBC and two of the people familiar with the matter. One called uh, called over to the White House Security Division wondering how it was that Kushner even got a top secret clearance, the source said. The source say the uh, CIA has not granted Kushner clearance to review SCI material. That's good. That would mean that Kushner lacks access, however, to key intelligence that he might need for whatever the hell it is that is his job, unless unless President Trump decides to override the rules, which apparently the president is allowed to do. So he can simply ignore all of this stuff anyway, (laughs) no matter what it is the CIA says. He can simply ignore it and show this information or give permission for this information to be used by Jared Kushner, his son-in-law. Congressman Elijah Cummings, the chair of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, said in a statement that the NBC News reporting raised questions that he hopes to answer as part of his investigation announced this week into how the Trump administration has handled security clearances. The system is supposed to be a nonpartisan determination of an individual's fitness to hold a clearance, he says, not an ad hoc approach that overrules career experts to give the president's family members access to our nation's most sensitive secrets. Now, uh, of course, I'm long on record talking about how I think uh you know, there's there's too much uh, security, there's too much, too much classified material, et cetera, et cetera. But we have rules in place and we're talking about the highest, most sensitive security for our nation, who our spies are around the world. Uh, it's transcripts of wiretaps and phone calls, etc. cetera. And this guy couldn't even pass the security clearance. To get to that level, and yet he was given clearance at the top secret level and then probably beyond that. Now, remember, remember all of those Republicans who pretended to be so very, very concerned about national security secrets. When uh, they were pretending to be worried about Hillary Clinton's email server. Well, that is darling. Uh, Where are those folks now? Why aren't they demanding Jared Kushner's head on a platter? Why aren't they demanding Donald Trump's head on a platter? For just simply doing away with all of these security clearance issues. Not just doing away with them, overruling them, reversing them. When you have security professionals saying don't give clearance to this guy. It's a national security threat. Those people should be yelling and screaming about this, but apparently not so much. Oh, and speaking of Hillary's emails and those calling for her to be locked up during the uh, during the 2016 election. Guess who got locked up today, at least for a time. President Donald Trump's confidant, Roger Stone, was charged with lying about his pursuit of Russian hacked emails Uh, Damaging to Hillary Clinton's 2016 election bid with prosecutors alleging that senior Trump campaign officials sought to leverage the publication of the stolen materials into a White House victory. Uh, According to the Associated Press, the self-proclaimed dirty trickster Roger Stone, uh, who's been a dirty trickster going all the way back to Richard Nixon, by the way, he was arrested by the FBI in a raid before dawn at his Florida home. He blasted the prosecution as politically motivated. Uh, AP reports a circus-like atmosphere outside the courthouse as supporters cheered him on and spectators shouted, "Lock him up!" Stone proclaimed his innocence and uh, uh, predicted he would be vindicated. I know we've got some audio for that, but I don't want to play it because I want to. I, we're running late, and I want to get to my. I want to get to a guest in a moment, so I'm going to try to not get sidetracked. But the seven count indictment today is one that I suspect Donald Trump was very happy to distract from with his uh, pretend deal to reopen the government. It is the first criminal case in months in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. It provides the most Detail to date about how Trump campaign associates in the summer of 2016 actively sought the disclosure of emails that the U.S. says were hacked by Russia and then provided to WikiLeaks. The indictment uh, alleges that unidentified senior Trump campaign officials contacted Stone to ask when stolen emails relating to Clinton might be disclosed. They actually put
2: that in writing.
1: The, the request to know when is this? When is it coming out? You
2: got anything else on Hillary Clinton?
1: Stone is the sixth Trump aide or advisor charged by Mueller and the thirty-fourth person overall. It's a hell of a witch hunt. Uh, the uh, nearly two-year-old probe has exposed multiple contacts between Trump uh I'm sorry between Trump associates and Russia during the campaign and transition period and revealed efforts by several to conceal those communications for reasons that are largely still unknown in in most of these cases and to me that's what you know nothing I hope I'm not overstating this but nothing that has been shown to date has been wildly damning about contacts between Russians, people affiliated with Russians, and the Trump campaign. But the fact that they keep lying about it, that they lied about it from the beginning, they lied about it throughout throughout the investigation, why are they doing that? I think that is still what we do not know. And we still don't know it uh, based on this indictment today. The 24 page indictment brings the investigation further into president's circle of advisors, however, but prosecutors did not accuse Trump of wrongdoing, at least at the moment in this particular indictment, nor did they charge Stone himself with conspiring with WikiLeaks or with Russian intelligence. The ones that Mueller says hacked the uh, the emails in question. They also do not reveal whether any Trump associates either conspired with Russia or had advanced knowledge of the hacking. Instead, the prosecution mirrors other Mueller cases in alleging cover-ups and deception, accusing Stone of lying to lawmakers about WikiLeaks, tampering with witnesses. Uh, and that was really the most stunning thing to me, at least in this indictment. I'll get to that in a second. But... um, tampering with witnesses and obstructing justice by obstructing a House Intelligence Committee probe into whether the Trump campaign coordinated with Russia uh, to tip the election. So in uh, in court papers, prosecutors wrote that they had concerns that if Stone was tipped off to the indictment, it would increase the risk of flight or of him destroying evidence. So they did a pre-dawn raid on Friday morning in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, that CNN aired video of. They were uh, somehow uh, either tipped off or figured out that this was going to happen. At least that's what they say. The indictment says that by June and July of 2016, Stone had told senior Trump campaign officials that he had information indicating that WikiLeaks had obtained documents that could be damaging to Clinton's campaign. After WikiLeaks in July of 2016 released hacked emails from the DNC, According to the indictment, a senior Trump campaign official was, quote, was directed to contact Stone about additional releases and what other damaging information that WikiLeaks had regarding the Clinton campaign. The charges do not name the official or say who directed this outreach to Stone. Um, but one of the uh, points in the indictment here uh, accuses Stone of carrying out a, quote, prolonged effort To keep Randy Credico, he's a a New York radio host with whom uh, apparently Stone had uh, conspired uh, to, I don't know, get messages to or from WikiLeaks. But uh, the indictment accuses Stone of carrying out a prolonged effort to keep Credico from uh, contradicting his testimony before the House Intelligence Committee. During that effort, uh, prosecutors note that Stone repeatedly told Credico to... Quote, do a Frank Pantangeli. Do you know what that is? No. From Godfather Two, uh-huh. Frank Pantangeli was going to, to sing before Congress about uh, Michael Corleone and the mob. And Michael Cor- Corleone showed up with Frank Pantangeli's brother from Sicily. Ah, uh, yeah. And scared him into Pantangeli saying, eh, he didn't do anything. I don't know anything about it. So Stone actually accused of uh, 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 was accused of threatening Credico uh, including through messages in which he called him a rat which is what Donald Trump, by the way, hoped to intimidate Michael Michael Cohen uh, by calling him a rat. Remember that? He said uh, he accused him of backstabbing his friends uh, Stone did. Stone also threatened to quote, take that dog away from you talking about Credico's dog. And he said, I'm so ready. Let's get it on. Prepare to die. Expletive. That's what he wrote to Credico. So, uh, wow. So, yeah, good time for uh, Trump to make a long speech and try to distract everyone in the the Rose Garden. But there's a lot that we have been distracted from throughout this shutdown. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with uh, one of those very troubling issues uh, with my guest today, The Intercept's Akela Lacey, a disturbing story that has gotten no coverage at all. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And thanks.
1: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. On Wednesday, during the fifth week of the record long federal government shutdown amid fights over whether. Donald Trump would or wouldn't present his State of the Union address to Congress on January 29 and whether Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, would be testifying to Congress amid threats to his family from the president of the United States. While everyone was understandably distracted by all of that chaos amidst this disastrous, chaotic presidency, the administration Quietly pressed ahead with a wildly controversial initiative that Republicans have sought for quite a while and that critics charge is a violation of the law and or the Constitution. On that very busy Wednesday, Kayla Lacey reported at the uh, Intercept, the Trump in- administration made a quiet move that opens the door for the religious right to use the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act to discriminate against able foster parents whose religious views are in conflict with those of an agency. On the 33rd day of the government shutdown, Stephen Wagner, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary at the Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families, signed a waiver giving special permission to a federally funded Protestant foster care agency in South Carolina to break federal and state law using strict religious requirements to deny Jewish, Muslim, and Catholic parents from fostering children in its network. After months of lobbying by Reed Lehman, president and CEO of... Miracle Hill Ministries, as well as South Carolina lawmakers and the state's Republican governor, Henry McMaster, Wagner signed a waiver that lets the agency keep its federal funding despite warnings by the South Carolina State Department of Social Services that it is violating federal and state non-discrimination law, as well as internal agency policy by denying parents of the Jewish faith from fostering children. Through this program, the uh, Miracle Hill Ministries foster agency also rejects parents who are agnostic or atheist. Basically, anyone who is not a Protestant Christian. While that sounds, at least to me, blatantly discriminatory, uh, according to Akela Lacy, this is all being done somehow in the name of so-called religious freedom, which sure sounds uh, here like the uh, freedom for certain religions, anyway. To discriminate against other religions. Joining me now to help us make sense and to make sure I'm I'm understanding this correctly and to explain the larger ramifications of what the Trump administration just did with this little noticed waiver is Akela Lacey. Uh she's a reporting fellow covering politics, immigration, and criminal justice for the Intercept. Akela, welcome to the broadcast.
3: Thanks for having
1: me. You uh you cite a statement issued by Lynn Johnson, an assistant secretary uh, at HHS, uh, saying, quote, we have approved South Carolina's request to protect religious freedom and preserve high quality foster care placement options for children. And she goes on to describe what she says are, quote, burdensome regulations that are in conflict with the law now, the requirement to not discriminate against someone's uh, religion may be seen as burdensome for some, I guess. But I'm having trouble understanding how that is in conflict with the law and how this waiver protects somehow religious freedom when it, it kind of seems, to my reading, to do just the opposite. Uh, at least for those who might like to become foster parents, what am I, what am I missing or not understanding here, Akela?
3: Right. So I think your take is uh the take that a lot of advocates for children's rights are are um coming up with as well, which is that while, you know, certain faith-based child-placing agencies in the state may see this as a burden on their religious their exercise of religious freedom, uh the majority of parents who are being uh turned away because of this request are seeing it as a burden on the exercise of their religious freedom. Yeah. Um so ideally, I mean, the situation is that South Carolina is saying that the foster care statute in HHS rules and regulations does not specify religion as a characteristic uh, on which they are not allowed to discriminate. So they say that the foster care program statute uh, says that agencies that receive federal funding can't deny parents based on race, color, or national origin, but that because that statute does not specify religion, uh, the the request that Miracle Hill accept these families is outside of the law. Um, however, DSS, the Department of Social Services in mm-hmm. South Carolina, has its own internal policy. South Carolina has its own non discrimination law, and then there's federal non discrimination law, which all uh, flies in the face of what this rate, waiver is requesting. Um, so, you know, part of this issue was is that the DSS was saying, you know, There's federal, there's state law, but Mm -hmm. then we also have an internal policy that says that we are not going to give federal funding to agencies that discriminate based on religion. Um, And this waiver basically says that they don't have to follow that policy. Um, And...
1: Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm focusing on the on, on the on the federal uh, issue for for the moment, where it says they can't deny uh, foster parents based on race, color, or national origin, but it does not mention religion. Uh, first, what any idea when that measure was passed and 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 signed into law, and was religion left specifically out in order to allow this sort of religious discrimination under the uh, this you know various religious foster care programs?
3: So, I, you know, I can't speak to whether or not uh, religion was specifically left out, but I will say that there's another request for a similar waiver in Texas, mm-hmm. and the attorney general in Texas argues that, he makes that argument that they, that, uh, let me find exactly what he says, um, that, you know, when they're writing the statute, they mm-hmm. know what they're including mm-hmm. for what should be characterized as, a characteristic that you can't discriminate against and that there's a reason that they didn't include religion. Um, You know, I can't say whether or not that was included, uh, that was not included purposefully. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, this statute has been the basis for foster care funding for, Mm -hmm. you know, at least, you know, several decades. This isn't a new thing. Um, And so the question, at least for for people that I've been talking to who work, you know, with Children's Rights or the ACLU is, you know, why now? Um, and it seems, honestly, the confusing thing about this is that it's this it's really this one agency, um, Miracle Hill. There are several faith-based child-pleasing agencies in South Carolina, several of them which are Christian-affiliated, that don't have this qualification. Um, and so I think the really interesting part is that the the reasoning in the the request for the waiver, and, you know, this went from state lawmakers to Governor McMaster to, you know, Senator Lindsey Graham's office all lobbying HHS for this one waiver. They're arguing that if they don't get this waiver, then other agencies in the state won't be able to do their job. And that really isn't the case when you look at the facts, which are that none of these other agencies uh, Christian affiliated agencies have similar religious requirements for parents.
1: So, so this this statute that they are trying to say, well, it doesn't say anything about religion, so we can go ahead and discriminate. That was a statute that was passed, you say, uh, years ago. So it's not something that was just jammed through by uh the religious right trying to pull this off under the Trump administration this has been in place for years and it's just essentially being exploited now by this one uh well by this one company uh in in South Carolina but also now in other states that's the concern uh, T- uh Ken Paxton uh who you cited he's the he's the still serving criminally indicted Attorney General of Texas um, he see, he's seeking a similar waiver not just for uh, to to allow Texas agencies to discriminate based on religion, but also uh, you report based on sexual orientation because I guess that is also not mentioned in the non-discrimination uh, laws that they're working from. Yeah,
3: so uh, that that's another issue with this with the South Carolina um, waiver as well. So Miracle Hill. Uh, does not allow same-sex couples, um, and there is a part of the statute does say I, I'm pretty sure it says it's gender identity, um, but and I think it's says sexual orientation mm-hmm. um, as characteristics that you cannot discriminate against. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Texas uh, the Texas request is asking um, to allow them to turn people away based on based on that as well.
1: And there's another point that I'm I'm hoping, (laughs) and I don't know if you can or not, but I'm hoping you might be able to clear up for me, Akela. Uh, You uh, you quote uh, Ron Wyden. He he responded to your uh, article. Uh, calling the uh, the decision by the Trump administration uh, to allow what he describes as taxpayer-funded discrimination as an affront to American values, he says it's appalling that the Trump administration continues to throw the interests of children out the window. There are foster kids sleeping in hotels and living in temporary shelters to turn away. Qualified parents, because of their religion, uh, sexual orientation, or gender identity, and deny these kids a secure home is immoral. That was uh, Democratic uh, Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon. And yet, in the waiver signed by the Trump administration, it states that South Carolina needs more child placing agencies <laughs> and yeah. that faith based organizations are essential to recruiting more families for children placement. So, uh, they both seem to be saying that uh, do if you do what we think you should do, it will be better for kids. It will will be able to find more homes for foster kids. Who's right? In the, is there any data uh, pointing one way or uh, or, or the other? Because they seem to be saying the complete opposite things about the same thing.
3: Yeah. So I can only speak to so South Carolina for mm-hmm. for whether or not you know this will be you know shrinking the pool of able foster car- parents that are. Uh, Available to foster children, mm-hmm. um, but like I said, there are well, Miracle Hill is the largest uh, foster care provider in South Carolina in mm. this area in the northern, um, the northern, tri- the northwest triangle, um, Greenville, Spartanburg, um, and Pickens counties. Uh, in that area, based on interviews that I've had with parents that have tried to foster with them and children's rights organizations that work with them. Um, Miracle Hill is the most well-resourced and the, the agency that does the best work. And mm-hmm. so that was a big part of this story that, you know, it's, we're not trying to demonize the agency for, you know, not doing their job, but it's just unfortunate that an agency that has such great power and serves so many children doing, you know, doing a lot of good work in the state that they want to be able to turn away parents, able, able parents. And so, um, yeah, exactly what you're saying that it doesn't really, make a lot of sense to say, you know, we need more parents, but, you know, we want to restrict the pool of people. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the argument that this is in the interest of serving children, um, especially given that the other agencies are still going to be able to serve children with or without this waiver, that it's only applying to Miracle Hill, I think that's pretty transparently false. Um, And I think the other really scary part of this is that Uh, aside from these individual waivers, 80 Republican lawmakers signed a letter to the president in May asking for even further repeal of these federal protections against discrimination. So this is not just something that is being advocated for on a state-by-state basis, but, you know, this is a quiet effort from the right to change these rules in the interest of mostly um, Christian organizations. And so, uh, you know, Christian, I'm saying, you know, the Miracle Uh Hill situation, they do turn away Catholic, they do turn away other sects of Christianity that aren't Protestant. Um, But, you know, in Texas, it's a
1: it's a different situation, and, and just to underscore w- what you're saying there, 80 Republican legislators they're they're trying to ask for I guess uh, similar uh, non-discrimination well I guess discrimination laws in other areas under the Religious Freedom Act. Uh, yeah. is is there really any area if if they sort of go through with this thinking? Oh, as long as we don't specify, you can't. Uh, discriminate on the basis of religion, then you can. Uh, I mean, is is there really any area of anything that religious organizations couldn't now just simply cite as federally sanctioned permission to discriminate on pretty much any issue, whether it's schools, charities, hospitals, healthcare, etc.
3: Uh, that's the fear, right, that this will kind of open the door for other uh, similar requests. And the Trump administration has actually been soliciting requests from people. So um there was an event uh, at the Heritage Foundation last year where um HHS officials were asking people specifically, you know, if they feel that their organization is being overly burdened by these non-discrimination laws to submit these waivers. So it seems like there is a push to... Uh, build momentum, you know in that direction, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is definitely concerning for for different, as you say, like other other types of agencies outside of the foster care realm where where this excuse or this um, argument could be used to to chip away at this body of non-discrimination law.
1: If they're able to turn away foster parents uh, because they're Jewish or Muslim or gay or whatever. Um, and, and that's what Miracle Hill seems to want. Uh, does Miracle Hill, are they also allowed to turn away children who are not mm-hmm. Protestant?
3: So Miracle Hill has not commented on this. Um, based on interviews that I uh, conducted as part of the reporting, it seems that they don't turn away children, but that there is a lot of uh, what one parent called religious indoctrination for children that are in the foster care system. So, um, you know, they have to go to Sunday school, they they have to go to church, um, there are different, you know, they're given Bibles. Um, there's one anecdote that I'll share, which I haven't, you know, I haven't independently confirmed this because I didn't speak to the child, but mm-hmm. one foster parent um, was working with a Mormon child who whose Book of Mormon was removed from their room, allegedly. And so it seems like, you know, there's a lot of Mm. there's a lot of confusion about how miracle treats children that would be gay or or, are not protestant that are in their care before they um connect them with foster parents but Mm. they are definitely pushing uh, a christian agenda Uh,
1: it's it is so ugly uh kayla Lacey. one one last uh, question here to your knowledge has there been a case where, let's say, a Muslim organization has sought permission to discriminate against Christians or Jewish children under this act, this so-called Religious Freedom Act, uh, and, and sought uh, one of these sorts of waivers. Has has there been a case uh, a- along those lines? And I'm wondering how uh, Republicans or the religious right uh, would have reacted to it, if so.
3: Mm-hmm. Not so many knowledge, um, but I do know that you know, based on the idea that you know I don't want to say that this is just like a Christian thing because even Christians are getting turned away from miracle miracle hill, and that is that's really the the, con- the most confusing part of this because there are, there are several. Christian affiliated agencies in the state that don't have these restrictions, and so, um, and and some, several of the parents that I've spoken to have worked with Christian organizations that were happy to work with a Jewish family or a Catholic family, um, and and so I would assume that you know the the scenario that you're suggesting, I would assume that Republicans would not be happy if it were the other way around, um, based on based on the arguments that they're making as far as religious freedom, um, but you know. There, there's been a lot of reporting on the rise of the religious right in HHS and the Office of Civil Rights, which was created under the Trump administration, um, and the fact that you know this uh, denomination, Christianity, has been given privileges over you know other other mm-hmm. religions that are that might be asking for these same permissions. Um, I think based on some of the rhetoric that we've heard from the president on, you know, Muslims, I I would imagine that there would be, you know, an uproar were it the other way around.
1: The uh, article at The Intercept by Kayla Lacy ends. Uh, the episode bodes poorly for advocates of civil liberties and religious freedom alike and opens the door for foster care agencies in other states and players at other HHS funded agencies, including the offices of Medicare and Medicaid, National Institutes of Health, the Food and Drug Administration and the Centers, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, among others, to discriminate in the name of religious freedom while keeping their federal funding, uh, it's a uh, d- d- disturbing and interesting story, Akela. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that you're focusing on it uh, with all of the other noise and sturm and drong that is going on. Uh, there is a lot that the administration is, is pulling off with uh, very little notice, unfortunately. And so I uh, really appreciate your coverage uh, at The Intercept. And you're joining us today uh, on the broadcast.
3: Thanks for your interest in the story, and thanks for having me.
1: You bet. We will point over to uh, Akela Lacey's story at TheIntercept.com, and you can uh, find and follow her work on the Twitters at Akela. that's A-K-E-L-A underscore Lacey on the Twitters. Thanks, Kayla. Thank you,
3: Brad.
1: You bet. I got to get out. I'm running late. As usual, my thanks to our (laughs) producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We've got years and years of archives for you to enjoy and share. Though we do ask, if you don't mind, uh, as we celebrate our 15th anniversary of bradblog.com over the uh, next week or so, that you consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do over your public airwaves every day. That's bradblog.com slash donate drop me email as well if you like I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and you can find and follow me on and share everything we do here on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Blog. okie dokie that's it until we meet again I'm Brad Friedman boy oh boy good luck world